if your brand isn't moving the sales needle, it's not working. So if you don't have any customers coming to your website, if you don't have repeat customers, if you don't have uh, have people filling out the forms, these are all signs that you need to invest in brand. It comes down to the, it's, it's very simple. It's it, how do you grow your, your business is going to be what your brand strategy is. Welcome to the Branding Lab, a workshop style podcast focused on providing actionable advice on how to build a remarkable brand. When host Yvonne Ivanescu decided to launch her own swimwear brand, she didn't know where to start. So she went straight to the experts. And the result? In-depth conversations with entrepreneurs, founders, marketing and brand experts who have created and designed the brands we love and interact with every single day. And now she's here to share these conversations with you. Are you ready to build your brand? Then you're in the right place. All right, let's dive into this episode with your host, Yvonne. Jeremy is a globally recognized branding expert and the best-selling author of Sticky Branding and Brand New Name. He works with companies to make their brands stand out, attract customers, and drive sales. And today we are chatting all about how to build a sticky brand. Hello, Jeremy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Yvonne. It's a pleasure to be here. So now, before we talk about what it takes to build a sticky brand, I really wanted to talk about your path that led you to branding, because I read a little bit about your story on your website, and I think it's a really great starting point just to talk about and to you know discuss just how important branding can be for a business, especially for small businesses. For sure. So where do you want to start on this? Uh, on my origin story? I mean, yeah, let's go from the beginning. How about that? <laughs> so I uh, I started out in the, the software industry and actually I'll, I'll go back a step before that. When I was in high school, my family ran, ran a, uh, a family business that was in the recruiting sector. When I was in high school, I told my mom at some point, I think when I grow up, I want to join the family business. And I didn't think much of it, but I'm pretty sure I, as I heard the stories afterwards, they had a small little panic attack because they didn't know how to handle it. So they <laughs> talked to their friends and other family business owners and they got some advice and their advice was, uh, don't just have a lucky sperm that gets access to the business. You need to create some barriers to entry or some criteria. Mm-hmm. And for me and my brother, it was, if we wanted to join the family business, we had to have a university education. We had to work in the real world for four years, have relevant experience. And then we could apply if there was a job, we could actually get it. And so they put all these hurdles in uh, before me, but that was something I wanted. So Almost four years to the day from graduating, I joined my family's business and I came out of the software industry and joined the the recruiting company as the director of sales and marketing. And I got to say that first year of working in the company was just horrendous. It was one of the hardest uh, years of my life. Our business, everything we were doing from a sales perspective didn't work. And I remember it got so bad that we actually had to implement this idea called pit time, which was mm-hmm. my sales reps and I spent six hours a week on the call, on the phones, cold calling, dialing for dollars, hoping to get lucky. And at the end of that first year, I said to my parents, if this is what it's like to be in a family business, I just can't do it. And, and this is when I probably got the best advice of my career. My dad said to me, you know, it's not about the business you've built. It's about the business you're building. What are we going to build next? 
Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment, it gave me permission to actually take a look at what had been created and start thinking differently. So I studied our customers and I studied our market and I studied uh, our, uh, our, our, our competitors. And what I noticed is we didn't have a brand. When you looked online and looked at us compared to everyone else, we looked the same, actually worse. We looked like a law firm or an accounting firm. We were just indistinguishable from the masses. And so what I realized was I didn't have a sales problem. I had a branding problem. The problem was I was a sales guy. I had spent the first four years of my life leading sales teams and, and, and growing businesses from that context. And so I had a problem on my hands and I had to study branding and I bought every book I could find and everything I could learn. And, and the challenge I had at that point in time is all the books were on big companies like Apple and Nike and Starbucks. And I was a small business. I had a marketing budget, just not a vast one. So I had to figure out what it meant to implement all these ideas, but we did. And so we rebranded the business, we repositioned it. And within nine months, the the business turned a corner and rocketed into growth mode. And it was so successful that even through the 2008, 2009 recession that uh, crippled the the economy, our business grew. And And the strength of that actually allowed me to sell that company in 2013. But that bug that I got back in 2004 when I rebranded my family's business stuck with me. And I've just been chasing that and studying it and, and, and basically have dedicated my whole career to it since. That's, that's super interesting. And I really love how you said that all these branding books, and I'm, I'm in the same position as you, you know, when we're reading, we see Nike and we see Apple. And even when I talk with some branding strategists, they always give the example, you know, of these really big companies. And I always ask, well, that's great, but how can small businesses really take advantage of all these branding principles? And I wanted to ask you when you, you know, got these books and you decided to do a rebrand, like how did that look? What was the, what did you start with first? Oh, that's a great question. So (laughs) at that moment in time, we started with everything. So we did (laughs) a, a complete change. So this company was an IT staffing firm. And what I did is I studied our our business and our strengths. And what I realized is that the industry had changed. And so I repositioned the business out of IT into sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, I also uh, changed the company name from Miller & Associates to Leap Job. And that process uh, was the foundation for my latest book, Brand New Name. I created a methodology for brand naming that uh, has grown since then. Uh, we changed the company identity. Uh, we did. Uh, uh, we changed all of our systems. Changed our software. We turned over most of our staff. Like you talk about breaking a system, we broke everything in order to get to the other side of this. And I think that's the one thing about branding. Branding. We have this this I thing that branding has an identity crisis. If you're in the design industry, you talk about brand from a look and feel perspective, what your identity looks like, what your website looks like, what your packaging looks like. If you're in communications, you'll talk about clarity. I come at it from uh, an entrepreneurial perspective. And so I look at it as both strategy and the measure of success is really in revenue growth and profitability. So what I looked at was how do we need to position ourselves in the market so that we're serving a clear need, being known, being recognized, and that the way we will measure the success of our business is based on the volume of demand that we're getting. I never want to cold call again. So the measure of success for me was 
how many calls per week could, or how many inquiries per week could we get? And what did that mean in terms of our sales performance? Amazing. And how long did that whole process take you? The brand positioning process, uh, it took about nine months to do the name, change the identity, update the website. The hardest part, actually, the thing that slowed us down, we had the first chunks done within about four months. The, The hardest part, though, was actually getting our brand messaging right. And this is a concept I talk about in my book, Sticky Branding. The challenge that I faced was I hated the word recruiter. And so I kept trying to come up with clever ways to describe our positioning. I'd call ourselves sales talent agents or search consultants and all these kind of wishy-washy terms. And I started studying our Google AdWords, and I noticed that there was a set of common words that were coming into our website. We never said it in one way. We just saw that people were Googling sales, recruiter, and Toronto. And it just dawned on me, that was the language of my customers. And so in three words, I could describe exactly what LeapJob was, which was a sales recruiter in Toronto. And when we said sales recruiter Toronto and put that up on the website, our positioning, our SEO, it took off. And that positioning alone was what really drove so much of our lead generation because it gave people a label on a file folder in their mind. They could categorize us. They could understand us. They could search for us. And so our referrals went up. Our uh, our repeat customers went up. Our uh, credibility within clients went up. And also our search traffic uh, grew exponentially. And all of that, getting that brand messaging, getting that brand positioning right, just was uh, fi- it was just putting gas on the fire. It just allowed everything to take off. I think that's a like a really great point as well that a lot of people they you know they think too much they get into their head they think of like different words and synonyms and sometimes the simpler the better right just straight to the point so that customers know exactly what they're getting when they land on your website or when they see your your brand name 100% and this is actually the foundation of sticky branding it's actually the first principle of the book sticky branding it's called simple oh, clarity there you go <laughs> And so simple clarity is the ability to describe your business and what makes it unique in 10 words or less. And the key to this is simple clarity is very different from, say, a unique selling proposition or an elevator pitch, because Mm -hmm. the purpose of a USP or unique selling proposition is to catch somebody's interest, like melts in your mouth, not in your hands, or a diamond is forever. Well, nobody Googles phrases like that. They Google (laughs) for categories. And what's happened since 2000 is Google and the search engines have got us to think in categorical terms. And they've, they've actually changed the way we navigate the world. So when you think of what makes a, a brand sticky, it's the ability to go to Siri and ask for it. And when you can do that, then you're increasing the ability for somebody to understand you. Now, it doesn't mean that you're telling the whole story or demonstrating what makes you remarkable, but it Mm -hmm. is the clarity of communication that actually makes the brand memorable. That's amazing. Okay. So that you were saying that that's the first principle of a sticky brand. Mm -hmm. So what are the other ones? There's 12 and a half of them, Yvonne. 
Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, I don't think we'll be able to go through all of them today, but can no. you give us a, a little bit of a taste? Yeah, sure. So uh, these are all covered off in the book, Sticky Branding, which it's actually uh, uh, on sale right now, depending on when the podcast comes out. Uh, but the, the, I think the big ones that you're really looking at is number one is, is really this idea of simple clarity. That's the foundation of everything. And once you've got that clarity of message, then the question comes out of how do you amplify this? And we call this uh, a first call advantage, which is how do you get your brand so that people know you, like you, and trust you so that they're not necessarily just Googling for you, you have a relationship with them. And if you think of any remarkable brand, let's just use the big guys, Apple, Nike, Starbucks. But even if you go small, let's say just your favorite restaurant that you go to a regular basis with your family. They all have that one thing in common. Their customers choose them first, but it's bigger than that. They think of them first, they refer them first, and they come back again and again. And they do that not because they have the best product or the best price. They do that because they know the brand, they like it, and they trust it. And when your customers know you, like you, and trust you, they will choose you first. But this is very much a marketing challenge. It's relationship building. How do you get that connection with somebody where they've been exposed to on social media. They've connected with you in real life. Now we're going through COVID. So a lot of this real life is is broken right now, but it will come back. So uh, how do we connect with people early and often so that when they have a need, they choose you first. And in doing so, that kind of marketing, that long game really takes... uh, creates a humongous competitive advantage because now you're not just spending Google ad dollars trying to be in the path of search every day. You're actually creating a brand that people know, like, and trust. And that is worth significant dollars when it comes down to just your, uh, the, the connection and value that you have with your customers. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the times what I see happening, and I think this is where people get confused, you know, the branding, marketing and sales. I think a lot of times people say, well, I don't have the time to put in, you know, to, to build the community, to go online and to create these conversations and to nurture that I need sales now. Um, and a lot of people don't really put into the, the effort into all of that, um, the branding aspects, the community building, everything like that. And, and I think it's really important. And, and what you said in terms of long game, I think to really think of that instead of the short game. I remember I was reading somewhere that if you uh, if you go to market with something that's similar, what ends up happening is that you're always going to compete on price, right? Yeah. The lower price will always win. And if you don't want to compete on price, then you need to create something different. For sure. It, and the re- But a relationship creates that that stickiness that will overtop just pure differentiation. We go and buy Coca-Cola just on that brand recognition, that uh, relationship. You go to Amazon without thinking, even though you could probably get it from other places that, or you have Uber on your phone. And and these are, these are driven largely by both, uh, both brand and by uh, ease. But I think one of the things you're hitting on is, a big myth when it comes to sales and an even bigger myth when it comes to branding, which is your brand is built when somebody is making a purchase. And that's absolutely false. Think about it. Just take a a major purchase, like buying a car. 
mm-hmm. you don't build a, the brand brand affinity and the and the relationship based on the purchase. That's actually probably the worst experience going to the car dealership, dealing with a car salesman, having to sign the contract, going through all the minutia of the paperwork and being upsold. All of that is actually the worst part of the process. Where you build the the relationship with the brand is upwards of three years before you make a purchase. So seeing the car on the road, all of the uh, the magazine ads and other things you might be exposed to, or once you are a customer and you're using that vehicle. The same doesn't matter the industry that we're talking about here. It, you could be selling uh, accounting services or even have a consumer brand. Your brand is built not at the point of transaction, but before somebody buys or after they buy. And so this is a concept in the book called the 3% rule, which says at any given time, 3% of your customers are buying, the rest are not. And so this means you have two kinds of customers. You have active shoppers and inactive buyers. And so when you're selling, you're dealing with someone who is an active buyer. When you are branding, you're dealing with inactive relationships, either prospects and future customers or customers. And having that separation is really important because if you really want to drive the sales needle, then you've got to build those relationships early and often so that people know you, like you, and trust you. And what you'll see from a sales performance perspective is you'll generate more leads and deals will close that much faster. They won't be just kicking the tires and trying to validate if you're the right brand for them. That's absolutely. Do you have any maybe like, real life examples of maybe brands that you have worked with or your personal experiences of how to be able to interact with these individuals um, before the sale? Sure. Uh, So there's a lot of different ways that this can be done. And one of the neatest ways right now is just social media. And Mm -hmm. so what I think is so fascinating right now is Instagram, and we're seeing this starting to populate towards TikTok, but Instagram has, uh, I've read the metric, but it's around 80% of uh, Instagram users actually follow brands. And so you can see really great examples. I'll give you two from the clothing industry. One is Tebow Clothing, which is tbo.clothing is their website. And they are they sell the most comfortable everyday men's underwear. They're actually a sticky branding client. And that phrase, the most comfortable everyday men's underwear is their simple clarity statement. But they do a brilliant job using uh, their Facebook groups and their Instagram uh, uh, community, but most importantly, their email to maintain relationships. And their objective is not to sell you uh, a three pack of underwear once they want you or a man to to be buying their underwear say four times a year so buying 12 uh, under pairs of underwear a year and to do that it's all built around the community and they do this in two ways one is just sharing interesting content related to their target audience the other is through a process of co-creation where they run surveys and uh, and contests in order to have men participate and vote on features they would like to see. And so what they're able to do is actually iterate and improve their underwear with each each season just by getting constant feedback and engagement from all of their customers on what they want out of their products. And as a result, people are coming back and buying multiple times. You think this is dollar and cents. Uh, 
Tebow is able to use their Facebook and Google advertising to get a customer once and their relationship marketing through email, Instagram, and Facebook to get you to buy many more times over the next, say, five to 10 years. I love that idea of co-creation. I think more and more brands are going in that direction. I see it a lot, but it's really this idea of including your community um, and having them be part of your brand. And so then when they're part of it, they feel invested in it. And I think from that point onwards, they become those loyal customers. They, they become advocates as well, because they'll probably be talking about your brand to their friends or through their, to whoever will listen. And uh, they'll, you know, that's also a great, a great thing to have. And in Tebow's case, they actually say that they are a direct by consumer uh, company. And, and so this is, this is an example of where messaging becomes difficult is that People say, are you a co-creation business or are you a clothing business? And they actually say, no, we are both. That what makes us stand out is that the products are developed by you. And uh, and so this gives them an incredible competitive advantage that uh, in the fashion industry, it's always uh, a designer is prescribing to the market saying, you should like this, whereas this co-creation model and allows companies to iterate very quickly with their customers participating in the brand, which creates incredible affinity, but also incredible product innovations. Amazing. Do you have another example that you could share with us? I know you you mentioned two examples. The other, it's very similar, is called Dewar, which is a, a Canadian brand, uh, D-U-E-R.ca, which is primarily a uh, a jeans clothing company, that, but it's expanded beyond into casual wear. They too have in, uh, have done a great job in both positioning. So they have uh, really identified. You can see it in their social media. This the kind of active wear that they have anchored the brand on. It's a high performance jean product, which has got a, elasticity and, and flex to it. But again, they use co creation. Uh, by doing uh, early runs. So you can be part of a membership-based group and access to early product ideas. And so what they're able to do is test out short-run limited uh, production uh, products, gain feedback from the community. And so the consumer is gaining access to limited edition products at a discount. Uh, but they're also the company is getting feedback and connection, and so through this early uh, participation, they are actually using social media and their content with purchasing. And I think this is the key thing that gets missed in a lot of uh, uh, digital marketing. The old way of doing digital marketing was let's give away a lot of free content and hope to get lucky in sales leads. What mm-hmm. brands like Tebow and Doer are doing is that they are connecting purchasing into the content stream. So allowing people to participate where your super fans are the ones that are going to be the early consumers, but everybody else gets to participate and see what's going on. And that creates energy around the brand. And especially where brick and mortar has been broken, these types of experiences create an advantage of why you should buy online versus going into a store. Amazing. I think, I think that especially now, 
Uh, a lot of brands are thinking outside of the box and I love it. I love seeing it. Uh, and I love this idea of really understanding that, you know, branding is a long-term as a, like a long-term goal, like a long-term thing, right? Yeah. Something that you're working on, it's creating that community. Um, and I think that's the problem that I see a lot of the times, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but people are just getting so focused into the sales and they they don't look at branding and they get really stressed out that things are not working. Um, but I have to say that these great, two great uh, examples. Now, is there is there any possibility of maybe sharing another sticky brand principle with us? Sure. Uh, well, I think it, well, let's look at it just from another um, uh, perspective, which is uh, a concept called "be everywhere." So, how do you put your brand a- into the concept where? It is seen. Now, the key to being everywhere is not to literally be everywhere. You're not McDonald's or Coca-Cola. It's Mm -hmm. being everywhere with the customers and community that matter. So uh, in that case, what we're really looking at is how do we focus our marketing to the people who know about a need first? So the key question I always ask people is, who knows about a customer need before you do? And this is especially true for business-to-business brands, where referrals are such an important part of the process. So I'll give you an example of this. So Foresight Sports is a manufacturer of golf simulators. Actually, they're the best golf simulators in the world. So if you're an avid golfer and uh, you want to know where the ball face hits the, or the head of their golf club hits the ball and the spin and all that kind of data, it gives you that. But it also allows you to set up, say, a home entertainment space in your home. So through the lockdowns, or if you're like me in Canada where it's cold and you can't golf in the winter, this is a way to actually have courses and a whole simulation place in your home. Well, through the lockdowns, uh, one of the key questions we asked was, who knows about the, uh, who knows the customers first? And so Foresight Sports Canada, the, the Canadian division of uh, Foresight, uh, partnered with Golf Canada, the association. And right after Easter, they did a promotion that said, the golf courses are closed, we're in the middle of lockdown, but you can have a simulator in your home. And the offer was a sim in a box. And so they paid a small sponsorship fee to Golf Canada it went out to all their members, and in a week, they generated 276 leads. And this started the ball rolling for last year, where they more than doubled their sales through COVID uh, uh, from the previous year. But the idea of being everywhere is asking the question, who knows about a need first? So rather than just simply doing pay-per-click advertising, who can you partner with? These might be associations. This might be uh, events. Uh, this could be, usually it's the key comes to this is sponsorship. Who can you affiliate with in order to reach other markets? Because simply building your own community organically can take a lot of time, but by partnering with people who already have those relationships, you gain their credibility and it elevates your brand awareness into the markets that matter most. Yes, definitely. I think you know, so as someone who's doing uh, fashion as well as swimwear and uh, ethical and sustainable swimwear, I think this resonates really strongly with me because one of the things that I see now a lot of the times is 
tapping into the communities of influencers or other individuals and getting to know those people and partnering with influencers or partnering, in my case, for example, sustainable bloggers or ethical bloggers and seeing how I can work with them people who share my mission, my values, my ethos. And I think that's why it's super important to really understand, like you said, clarity of uh, what is your, like, what is your brand, but also understanding who are your customers um, and understanding everything, all of the foundations before you reach out and, and start trying to build that community. Mm-hmm. And I think you've just nailed on something there, Vaughn, with this, the sustainability. When you identify the values that, that you're trying to connect with, it's a perfect example of how you can focus your brand. Sustainability is very much a shared value th- that it you have a shared uh, value in terms of what kind of clothing you want to do, your manufacturing processes. Sustainability is a big part of Tebow, for example. Their fabrics are all made with bamboo. They are using sustainability at all levels of their supply chain and the way they run their, their organization. But to that, there are other organizations that share those same values, and that creates an opportunity for partnerships. We have another client called Cascadia, which is in the incentive travel business, where they're the only ISO certified company doing sustainable incentive travel trips. And so they are able to do partnerships alongside different kinds of organizations. And they actually have what's known as a, a CSO roundtable or a chief sustainability officer roundtable, which brings together sustainability officers to have conversations and share best practices. This doesn't necessarily all tie back to their business, but that shared value and that desire to improve sustainability creates a way for you to partner and connect with not only disparate brands, but consumers in a way that has a lot of meaning. Definitely. And I think it also doesn't have to be in the same industry, right? I mean, a a travel company that believes in sustainability and a clothing company that also believes in sustainability, they can definitely partner um, and they can figure out ways to be able to work together. So there's a lot of, when you understand those values, there's a lot of opportunity to be able to search for companies and individuals in different industries that share those values and that you can partner with and collaborate with. And you have such an important, at least on the, the sustainability topic, it is so much bigger than environmentalism and green. Sustainability talks are uh, about uh, everything from uh, human rights to uh, quality of work standards to, there, there, I believe that the UN has a 11 principles that represent sustainability. So what that means though, is it allows you to think wide and creative and and what you'll find is there's a whole world of consumers out there that value it. There's a whole world of consumers that don't, but the ones that value it are actually the ones that matter because they are going to seek out those experiences. And so by building community, whether it's with the disparate companies or simply through your consumers, that shared value gives you a lot of uh, resonance to be able to, to market your business very cost-effectively simply because you have a way of operating your business that is unique, that people care about. It's creating also a story from those values, right? To be able to create a story and and share that story with individuals. Exactly. And this is actually in consumer marketing, 
what is the key point of differentiation today? What we have found is that uh, that most people are not buying based on features and benefits. Brand loyalty has been eroding for the better part of two decades. So people go in and they, they're not loyal to, let's just take big companies here. They're not loyal to say Reebok versus Nike, but what they will do is identify based on value. So if we circle back in time, say uh, to uh, November, October, November of 2019, you may recall uh, Nike did those big Kaepernick campaigns throughout oh, yeah. the United States. And it was so polarizing, especially in the dynamics that was going on in the United States back then with uh, with Trump and, and the left versus right and all those dynamics. And what Nike did is they chose a value statement and they positioned on it very aggressively and their stock skyrocketed through November and December of 2019. And the thing was, it was polarizing. They pissed off the people that were all up in arms about it and they got, and those people went on to social media and went on the media and talked negatively. But the people that mattered were primarily upper middle class, urban um, teenagers and young professionals that identified with that value. And that was is a great way that Nike has been really differentiating itself is using values that matter to both the business and their core market. And by anchoring on them and taking a stand, they have really made their business, it, it creates competitive immunity. It, it, it's like building a wall around the castle. Even though some people might not agree with it, the people who are their core customers, it does matter to, and that creates a greater sense of loyalty. Definitely. And I think the importance with values is that they also have to be like authentic. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times people, you know, choose values because they're the hot topic. I and mean, I know sustainability is kind of the buzzword nowadays, but I think it's also really important to be able to really believe in those values and not to, you know, be wishy-washy about them. You're raising a really great point. So uh, sustainability could be a value. Or it could be a strategic choice and I'll different delineate between these. So say your business is based around environmentalism or sustainability, and that is what you believe. Well, mm -hmm. if that's the case, a value is immovable. It's unchanging. And if you look at any business that goes into a major crisis, chances are they ignored those core values. The best example in recent memory is what Volkswagen did when they put a deception switch in their diesel vehicles. And now you can't buy a diesel vehicle from them, at least in North America. So, uh, and but they they broke their core values, and that cost them, and it hurt the brand in, in a dramatic way. Mm -hmm. So, if it's a value, it's it's something that's hard, fast, and you got to manage that. That you even if it doesn't if it doesn't affect if it hurts your profitability, you're still going to do it because that's what you believe. A strategic choice, though, is you are making business decisions in order to create a competitive advantage. So take okay. Zappos. I'm, I, I'm using big companies here just from a perspective of just ease of uh, understanding, but Zappos position their brand on customer service, but their definition of customer service was very specific. They offered uh, free shipping. You could return your products up to one year. You could return those for free with shipping. They didn't charge for shipping returns. And mm -hmm. you could always speak to a human being, whether that was through chat, video, phone. There was a huge call center that was there to help you. So they were very clear in how they defined 
their form of customer service. And that's a strategic choice. So if you are looking at your brand, for example, and saying, you know, we believe that sustainability is a competitive advantage. This is something that we want to invest in. But if it's not profitable, we may abandon it. So that might be an area that you invest a disproportionate amount of resources to create a competitive advantage. And so the reason I differentiate or delineate between this is sustainability could be a value or could be a competitive advantage. They can be both, but they can be separate. And so it's important for an entrepreneur to say, why are we doing this? What does it matter to us? And if the business wasn't successful, would would we continue to do this? If you say no, then it's not a value, but it still may be something important that you want to chase. Does that make sense? yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And it's made me think really uh, about that. I think that because I, I always have these conversations with some individuals about, you know, values, personal values and your brand values and whether they should intersect um, and whether or not you should have the same values. Like, and, and it's just very interesting. I think values really boil down to people. Yeah. So the best way, so I have to read marketing value, read values on a website and they look like marketing copy and it's a lot of BS. And the way you, you can say, do these values actually work is if you were to take a spreadsheet and you put in the first column, every employee in your company, and then for the, the column A or BCD, like the next set of, of columns going forward, put each uh, value as, as a top header. And what you want to do is score each employee against the values. If they have the value, give it a plus sign. If they don't have value, give it a minus sign. If it's neutral, give it like a plus minus sign. Mm -hmm. What you'll find often is a lot of people have values that everybody on the company scores a negative or neutral on. And you're like, well, why is this sitting there? Is this really a value or is this something that sounds good for your annual report? If it's something that sounds good or feels good, it's not a value, but if it's something that it's how you operate and you can tell this, if somebody doesn't have it, they're not going to be fitting into our culture. That's a value. And so oftentimes we have values that actually aren't very aspirational. Like we work hard. Don't leave at five and let your chair spin. If you don't have your stuff done, if that's the case, those that's actually part of your social contract as a culture. And that's a value. So understanding that your values are the way in which you operate and what you are aspiring towards is more important than just colorful marketing copy that feels good. Yeah, that's a thinker. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that, you know, there's so many for me, I always, I always get overwhelmed with all of these like branding all these branding things that I use that uh, that I need to go through, that I need to look at to differentiate, to to think. I think it's super hard. It can be very overwhelming, but I think it's super interesting as well to go through this whole process. For sure. But simplify it. Just look at it from an entrepreneurial perspective. You're trying to grow a business. And yeah. to do that, you need to have happy, satisfied customers. Now, your customers care far more about the quality of your products and services than the quality of your marketing. Marketing simply should amplify what makes you brilliant. So the thing that is really your brand is the connection and relationship you form with your customers. I truly believe that branding has an identity crisis. So let's just separate what is a brand versus branding. A brand, let's just use Jeff Bezos' definition. A brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. 
So that is a lagging indicator. That's based on what you have done for someone in the past. Branding though, is what you will do. And that's your strategy. And rather than getting caught up in the complicated side of what kind of marketing do we need? What kind of uh, uh, products do we need? Simply ask the question of where are we going? So where do we play? How do we win? What's the infrastructure that we're going to need to get there? And when you can be deliberate of just simply defining what it is that you want and what is your strategy, then you kind of cut through all the the BS and nonsense of all the woulds and shoulds you should be doing for marketing and branding and just simply go, okay, I've got a business. We are where we are today. Over the next three years, this is where we want to go. How do we get there? And if you are, if standing out in the market is, is part of that strategy, then you're able to make decisions to support that. Now, if you've got great differentiation, but the thing that's slowing you down is actually you can't deliver, then maybe you got to work on your operations. And operations are just as much about brand as your marketing is because it's the way you serve your customers. So simplify things. Think like an entrepreneur. What are you trying to build and why? And then build your strategy to do that. And it takes all the pressure off. Yeah. I think that's one of the problems with branding when people see it and like they start talking about it and getting into it, they get overwhelmed and they're like, I don't need to do this. Let me just go get a logo. <laughs> yeah. and it, but it, the measure of success is sales. If your if your brand isn't moving the sales needle, it's not working. So if you don't have any customers coming to your website, if you don't have repeat customers, if you don't have uh have people filling out the forms. These are all signs that you need to invest in brand. It comes down to the, it's, it's very simple. It's it, how do you grow your, your business is going to be what your brand strategy is. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we're going to, we're going to end here uh, with one last question. Cause there's a lot of information and I loved it. I loved every minute of it, but maybe just like as a final kind of a uh, final question. Mm -hmm. What is the number one fatal mistake that entrepreneurs do when they build their brand? I love this question. You know, I think the number one mistake that people make is they look for shortcuts mm. and there's no silver bullet to relationship building. There's no silver bullet to branding that you, it, Building your brand is a process. It's a journey. And that the companies that I see that build the best brands are the best marketers. When I wrote Sticky Branding, uh, my book, uh, what I did is I took my experience from when I started out my origin story, and I was so frustrated about all the books that were out there. So I profiled and, and reviewed over 150 companies from around the world. And I want to understand how do the, these companies stand out and challenge the giants of their industry and grow remarkable brands without being huge companies. And what I found out of the research was it was no accident why some companies had better brands than others. And it was ultimately they chose to have better brands, that they invested more in marketing, they invested more in innovation, they invested more in customer service and doing things right. And it was that quality, they built their brand from the inside out. So the mistake that is, is, is the opposite of that. When you're just dabbling, when you're just trying to cut corners to get a sale, when you're just doing things that are 
uh, sleazy or cheesy because you think it's going to work or you just want that short win. Those are the moments where you are actually not building a brand. You are eroding trust and it's it just something that's going to haunt you. So choose your brand, choose to build it well, take pride in your business, build your business and your brand from the inside out. And when you do that, people will value you. Your customers will learn to, to like you. They will learn to appreciate you and they'll just come back again and again. And that's what a sticky brand is, is when somebody knows you, likes you and trusts you and they choose you first, they refer you first and they come back again and again. Perfect. And I think also people need to realize that it takes time. It's not something that'll happen overnight. It takes time. It takes effort and just stick with it and it'll get, and you'll get there. Yeah. It, it even like Coca-Cola is still a work in process. And, and how long <laughs> old is that? Like, yeah. <laughs> brands get better with time. It, think of your brand name specifically. It's like a vessel. Every experience is putting more into that vessel. And so the more someone interacts with your business, the more they will learn to like it, that it's not a one shot. It's not a Google AdWord. It's repetition that grows brands. Perfect. That's amazing. And with that, I think we're going to stop there. There's a lot of food for thought there. <laughs> um, now tell me, Jeremy, if people would want to maybe buy your book or learn more about you or follow you, where can they find you? Easiest way to find me, Yvonne, is just to Google Sticky Branding. The website is stickybranding.com. I'm on all the social networks at Sticky Branding. And the books are on Amazon. Uh, the first is Sticky Branding. And the second is Brand New Name. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a lot and uh, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. And thanks for inviting me today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Branding Lab podcast with your host, Yvonne Ivanescu. If you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, or leave us a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you next time.